Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Radford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Vabrin Watts, Director of Health Equity at Health Affairs, about how Black healthcare executives can stay on top of health equity research. This is the first of two episodes featuring Dr. Watts. Dr. Watts is an expert in health equity and has penned more than 300 articles about the latest advancements in medicine for various news media, like the Philadelphia Inquirer and WebMD. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's get into our discussion with Dr. Vabrin Watts about health equity research. Dr. Vabrin Watts, I am so excited that you're on this podcast, man. Thank you for inviting me uh, on this podcast. If you could just talk a little bit about your personal journey. You spent nearly all of your career dedicated to improving health care for communities of color. So what motivated you to get into health equity research? My journey is one that is it's not quintessential for, for, for a person in diversity, equity, and inclusion. But just to be fair, I think because we're at the beginning of this uh, movement, no one probably like, like our age were like, you know, we're prepared for this, but we took roads and steps along the way that sort of helped us out. So just to give you a little background about myself, um, I uh, graduated from Harry Medical College, uh, which is a HBCU located in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And so, uh, yes, yes, yes. So I was actually, I I actually got my PhD in um, biomedical science and the discipline was cardiovascular pharmacology. And even then I knew I wanted to do something around let's just say communicating, you know, healthcare to marginalized populations. But at that point, I didn't know how to get there. So after I graduated from there, I went to Johns Hopkins and continued uh, doing cardiovascular research there. And I took a sabbatical for around like six to eight months where I served as a journalist, uh, a science and medical correspondent for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And so when I got there, you know, I was able to look at things that were outside of cardiology, such as sickle cell traits and like the rates of sickle cell disease and then kidney disorders, which I noticed that, you know, which I knew this, but I was more involved in the stories is is that they really impacted um, African-Americans. And so after I got back from that sabbatical, going back to Hopkins, I became a spokesperson for the American Heart Association because I had a grant for them. And so I started working with the American Stroke Association, which is the cousin of the American Heart Association. And they really got me into their power to end stroke campaign, which really ignited my career into diversity, equity and inclusion. After, you know, completing my postdoc at Hopkins, I went on to the American Psychiatric Association, was a journalist there and really focused on minority mental health. 
at the time, a new director of diversity and health equity was coming in to the American Psychiatric Association. And she said, hey, babe, why don't you join our team so we can get you know this information out you know, uh, concerning minority mental health? And so once that happened, I was on really, you know, it had a full career within diversity, equity and inclusion. That's awesome. I, I want to read this particular finding that I found interesting in September of 2021. Stat News released findings showing an influx of nearly $100 million toward health equity research is almost entirely being spent by institutions without Black authors. That's a huge, huge concern. What do you think about this? You know, I, I read that article from Stat, and it's something that they coined uh, health equity tourism. <laughs> Basically, that, you know, you have had people of color, you know, uh, minority institutions as well, who have always done this type of research, but they, since the beginning of time, have been looked over for these grants on health equity. And even though now there is a focus on health equity, they are continued to be looked over. Some of the things, you know, that they talked about in that journal and then that some of my colleagues talked about was that when it comes to securing grants, a lot of researchers of colors have a lot of different barriers that their white colleagues do not. One is they may be at a school where their research is not 100%. So it may be divided between teaching um, as well as serving on a bunch of committees, either because the school needs them on that committee or sometimes because, you know, it needs diversity on that committee. So their time, you, you know, is sort of being pulled away because they're, you know, not able to do 100%, you know, research, they, they may find it difficult to, you know, actually, you know, apply for these different types of grants. Now, something that they could have done, they could have actually been bold if they're, if people are really serious about equity, you know, you have to have equitable practices and equitable practice mean, hey, once you bring some of these, you know, researchers of color in who are not receiving grants, who are doing this phenomenal research and teaching them the ropes on how to secure funding for these grants. So, yeah, I mean, that is a very unfortunate uh, situation and it's something that needs to be addressed. It's, it's like, you know, when you implement a program, you have to make sure that that program is equitable. Absolutely. Well, the exciting thing is that there is an interest in health equity research. We are seeing a spike in this work. And so the question I have is what trends should Black healthcare executives be particularly aware of regarding this spike in the interest in health equity? Yeah, so I think some of the trends that Black uh, healthcare professionals should be aware of is the trends to not only actually have most of this work be about disparities, but also really incorporate what is the reason for that disparities. As you know, I work for uh, Health Affairs and um, we did do an issue in February on racism in health. I love that issue because it really looked at the contributions of racism on healthcare. For example, and this, I'm just making this up as I go along, but black men are most likely to die of like heart disease. And like this reason may be because black men have more protein that make them more prone to, to heart disease. But then you have to ask the question, why are black men more prone to have this protein, you know, that cause cardiovascular disease? And what are the external forces that are the causes of that? Now, that is how we start addressing, you know, disparities correctly. And then we also see like the type, the different type of inequities throughout life, not only through health, because what you do in life also impacts your health. We know they're they're one and the same. 
healthcare professionals really need to look at the reasons behind these various disparities and the reasons behind these inequities. And it's something that I always say that you're going to have to go back probably 400 years or since the, since the inception of this country. We're not going to answer this in two years. You can't you can't <laughs> you can't solve a 400 year old problem. Um, you know, within two years. Another thing that, that Black executives um, need to look into is really pay attention to the community involvement within research. What is the community doing, like community health programs doing to really address health inequities within their own community? So, you know, that's one thing I really want to focus on is community involvement, as well as um, looking at drivers for these disparities within health. I'm glad you brought up the racism and health issue that health affairs produced. It was it was a great publication and congratulations to you and your team for really highlighting that work and, and, and making us dive deep into disparities. As you said, there's a reason for the disparities and we need to look at the root causes of those disparities. And it may take a while to do that, but the work is going to be more sustainable and more meaningful. So the follow-up question I have is, what are the red flags that should lead someone to disregard certain institutions that do conduct health equity research? A couple of days before June 2020, we had the George Floyd incident. Within two weeks, I was going on interviews every other day. Everyone felt compelled to, you know, have, you know, uh, diversity, you know, equity and inclusion in it, in, uh, um, initiatives. And I was just being contacted left and right on LinkedIn. Um, I will say that I applied for my position in health affairs prior to June 2020. I applied to it in April. And so when it came to me deciding which job to take, and I would say some some jobs would be a lot better than health affairs because they were that they were just that thirsty to get, you know, that 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 DEI department going. I mean, to the point where like, you know, I would ask, okay, so I'm interested. So how do I apply? And it's like, oh no, we're we will apply for you. And I didn't apply for any of these jobs. And they were like, we will you will take your resume and just type everything up for you. And I was like, okay, this sounds way too desperate for me. Thirsty is the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so and so to make a long story short, of course, I went with health affairs for the reason that, hey, they wrote this position up, I think, starting in what, February, you know, prior to. And I said, well, let me go with health affairs. But then, you know, I think in, in 2020, summer 2020, I forgot which news outlet it was in, but they were saying that, you know, all those, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion officers who were hired, you know, within the three months of June 2020, six months later, they changed jobs because they actually found out that those companies were not serious about advancing equity. Yeah. And if and if you are serious about advancing equity, the first thing I, I ask everyone um, that, that I interview for, like, well, will I have a team? Because this will be no one man show. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, if you are serious about, you know, advancing equity and inclusion to put your money where your mouth is for those, you know, um, healthcare professionals who are, you know, who do want to go into equity, ask those questions, ask, what is your vision for the diversity and equity department? If we're focusing on race, if we're focusing on gender, if we focus in on sexual orientation, do you uh, plan to have at least three people to oversee that? Because uh, I will say some of those um, job uh, announcements, they said, hey, we want everyone who is proficient in each area of you know diversity, equity and inclusion. And, and I'm like, you know what? It doesn't work like that. And that person does not exist. And it's very important that you really see how the culture is and, and then see like 
what is the mindset of the leader? And also, this is another thing. I wasn't going to accept the job if I did not report directly to the head person who was in charge. Because to me, if the diversity officer reports to the CEO, and in my case, then I wasn't really interested in doing that. And so I eliminated a lot of people that way. Yeah. As I've seen some of the positions posted, I have seen this trend where it's this one man, one woman, one person show that's expected to represent all communities, represent all identities, know everything, split their time, however many ways to attend different meetings in order to get the work done. And that in and of itself can lead to burnout, which is what you had mentioned before. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Fulton Homes Education Center. For more information, please go to www.nurseaidtrainingomaha.com. N-U-R-S-E-A-I-D-E trainingomaha.com. Now let's get back to our discussion. I want to jump into that introductory blog for health affairs in January 2021. If you can just go back with me a, a year, it seems longer than a year, but just a year now. You mentioned that equitable participation is one of the keys to advancing equity. Can you speak to what is being developed under your leadership? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say the first thing that, that I wanted to do when I came in, I was like, you know, we need to know where we are at baseline as it relates to equity and, you know, what's being published on health equity. So when I stepped in within the first uh, two months, I did do an assessment of our uh, equity content at health affairs, equity content as it relates to race and ethnicity. And so I said, hey, let's just see where we are at baseline. We actually were pretty in, in a decent range um, around um, between 11 and 12 percent of our content did deal with racial health equity, which I thought was great. And I said, OK, moving forward, we can't let this get under 10 percent like that was the thing. So it needs to be between 10 and 20. Then one of the next steps that, you know, we went on to is I thought of like, well, one of the things that we need to do is know who is publishing within health affairs. It was this article that was written in New York Times in late 2020, which uh, basically talked about, you know, a lot of journals have these clauses on, um, hey, we believe in diversity, equity and inclusion. But then when the reporter asked, well, who's publishing in your uh, journal? You know, what's the author's demographic? Two journals were able to tell them out of the like six prominent journals, you know, that were uh, being published. And so with that, I said, you know, we have to do that, you know, within um, health affairs in which we did start to do that in January of 2022. We were coming up on our first analysis because we wanted to make sure that everyone was able to really put in their information, uh, see who opted out. We uh, actually were applauded for doing this. And since then, like literally like six journals have reached out to me and said, what are you guys doing? And we want to do the same thing. So, you know, we're really trying to change the culture not only at health affairs, but just within scholarly publishing. Um, another thing talking about author demographics, health affairs now 
past couple of years, you know, we've had uh, this great digital uh, strategy director come in. And so uh, we're doing a lot of things that's sort of outside of like the normal journal, like the events and things like that. And so it's very important that at these events that you also give these same opportunities to researchers of color, because we know if, you know, if someone sees them, you know, at health affairs, this gives them recognition, notoriety. This this helps them, you know, become an expert in their field. And so this is something, you know, that we really try to strive for at health affairs as we try to increase equitable participation, you know, commission different writings um, from, you know, people of color. And then we started a health equity fellowship program for trainees for uh, researchers of color who are either graduate students or who are like five years within, you know, their career as as a associate professor. This program has been great. We are really exposing, you know, these 10 bright, talented researchers of color who do health equity work to the ins and out of publishing within health affairs, but not only health affairs, but just the ins and out of the publishing period. We're really providing, you know, mentorship to them on two levels. One, they get their own actual health affairs editor as a mentor, but then they also get an external expert as a mentor as well. So, you know, we're setting these researchers of color, these young researchers of color up for greatness. My dad used to always say, everything is about exposure. Giving them the formula on how to publish and how to get your things published will take them a long way. That is awesome. Again, congrats on the work that you started and the work that you're continuing to do moving forward. Something piqued my interest, and that was the equitable participation percentage. I think you said 11 or 12% Mm -hmm. equitable participation, and you want to stay within that 10 to 20% range. Could you talk a little bit more about how you came up with that range? We did an assessment and analysis of all of our content from inception. We had um, looked up content that dealt with racial equity, racial health equity, but then we, we really had to be smart with it because as you notice, diversity, equity, and inclusion talk changes, I promise, every three years. So, so, so we had to make a keyword list that basically, you know, we, we put equity in there. We put equality in there because let's just say in 2000, the word was equality. You had to put black, you had to put African-American, you had to put indigenous, Native American, all these, you know, different terms that change, you know, over time. And so we were able to do that with the help of a third party company that does analysis of our like research. It showed that 11 to 12 percent of our journal content did relate with addressing some aspect of racial health equity. We also, it'd be interesting, and this is just something I want to do, because uh, I know Aletha Maybank and her team did this, where they looked at journals that mentioned racism, period. They did this prior to, you know, our racism and health issue, but it was only a few journals that actually mentioned the word racism when it came to like uh, health equity research. One of the things that I will say that was interesting when we did the analysis of our content for that year of 2020 the second half of 2020, it was actually 50% dealt with race and health equity. And we know what happened at the second half of 2020, along with like George Floyd, as well as along with COVID. The 2021 analysis, um, we're gearing up for that now. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Thanks for sharing a little bit more about that percentage. How do you expect health equity research to evolve going forward? One of the things that it probably needs to evolve in is to really get those voices of the actual community. And that could be done in multiple ways. 
really with health equity research, the researchers should be reflective of the community. I just had a researcher, Nainez Ponce, who is great. She's at uh, UCLA over the School of Public Health. She identifies as a Pacific Islander. She actually started the uh, COVID Data Policy Lab. And the COVID Data Policy Lab actually deals with COVID rates in Pacific Islanders. And so I had asked her, I said, where did you come up with this Pacific Islander Data Policy Lab with COVID? She said, you know what? Personal experience. And it was due to other, you know, Pacific Islanders that she was friends with. They were saying like, hey, you know, the COVID rates among, you know, Pacific Islanders were horrible. Even when she looked at Pacific Islanders and Native Hawaiians in Hawaii, the Pacific Islanders had worse outcomes than, you know, Native Hawaiians. And so it just made me think that your personal experience can really shape your direction and trajectory in life as well as your professional career, which, you know, mine did. So it's very important that, you know, that we have more people in the health equity space that identify with the community that they are actually reporting on, I put it that way. Another thing is get the voices of the community involved. There are a lot of programs trying to address health inequities. They have a voice. They have ideas. They have innovations that could really steer us into a direction of really reducing health inequities. Yeah, as I always like to think of it, the communities that are closest to the issues are the closest to the solution. And the more we're able to lift that up, the better our work will be moving forward. This has been an amazing conversation, babe. The last question. Many health equity officers often have to justify their goals and even their existence at their own healthcare organizations. What is your advice to Black healthcare executives who need to leverage this health equity research that you've been talking about to make the case for their efforts? Hmm. Be bold. And know that you are the expert there and that without you, some of the things may be accomplished, but it may not be accomplished in the speed that that company wants it to be accomplished and stand firm to your word. You, you know, if, if you present it to them, you know, one way and they don't get it, present it to them in another way. I've worked in companies and this is not health affairs. Health affairs is like, hey, do what you have to do to get it done. But I've worked in other companies where I had to really go back like four times in order for them to get it. And sometimes people are just not receptive to change. But as one of my former bosses used to say, repetition is key. After a while, you know, it sinks into their, you know, <laughs> it sinks into their head. And it's like, hey, well, you know, you have a point. And then they may see something later on down the line that reminds them like, hey, well, you know, Pleasant said something about that. So let's do that. Keep trying and trying. Go through plan A through Z and um, they will get it. Now, I will tell you this right here. <laughs> is that, you know, after a while, if they do not get it, it's no shame in leaving. That may be the sign that that position is not for you and um, your work and your purpose there is complete, in which I know we've all been through that before. Absolutely. Dr. Babrin Watts, Director of Health Equity at Health Affairs, thank you so much for talking more about your work and your personal journey and joining this podcast. My pleasure. Thanks. 
If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.